Good morning. I'm Pastor Steve, and here at Faith Bible Church, we have been working through the book of 2 Samuel. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We are in a section of the book, chapters 10 through 12, where David has been tripped up by sin. Chapter 11 recorded David on top of a roof, seeing a beautiful woman below. He sought her out found out that she was married, and even with that knowledge, brought her into his house, committed adultery. She became with child, and to try to cover it up, David brought her husband back from the battlefield, encouraged him to enjoy an evening at home with his wife, to which he refused. So then David tried to get him intoxicated, impairing his judgment. So then he would spend an evening with his wife. He refused again. So David wrote out an order to put this man on the front lines of battle so that he would be surely killed, and he was. And we saw that David made light of his sin, sending word to Joab in chapter 11, verse 25, saying, Do not let this thing displease you. But in a Hebrew parallelism, our human author makes a point, because David said to Joab, Don't let this displease you, that Uriah was murdered. But the very last part of the last verse of the chapter said, But the thing that David had done was displeasing in the sight of the Lord. So we find David taking his sin lightly. We saw in chapter 10 that he got into this place because he stopped being dependent on God and started being dependent on himself. Life was good. Life was easy. Everything was going great. But he stopped asking for God's direction. He stopped carrying out what he was supposed to do, his charge for this world, and started just sending other people to do his work. 23 times the word sent occurs in chapters 10, 11, and 12. And after every victory, he started disobeying the word of the Lord and adding wives to his harem, even though Deuteronomy 17, 17 said that the king should not multiply wives. David has sinned. And we're going to see next week that there's going to always be consequences to sin. But we also find good news here. And that is this. There's always forgiveness available with the Lord. There always is. There's always forgiveness available with the Lord. I'm going to read this section out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 12, I'll start reading in verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There are two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and 
He was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who's done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel. It's I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. Sin. Nathan's tripped up by it. He's caught in it. And we know from Psalm 51, a parallel psalm to this section, that he has no peace, no joy. His life has been miserable for almost a year because as we come to chapter 12, most likely Nathan the prophet comes to David on the birth of this son that was born to he and Bathsheba. Nine months later after his sin. And he still has experienced no forgiveness. Because at this point, he still isn't taking his sin seriously. But he's miserable. We're going to ask ourselves the question today, how can I find forgiveness? Now, David is a believer in the Lord. And we know in the New Testament, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have put our trust in him, believing that he is God, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead, we are forgiven for our sin. At the moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we belong to our Heavenly Father, his adopted sons and daughters, but we still sin. And when we sin... We clog up, we kink up the Spirit of God's ability to replicate Christ's life through us. We clog up, we kink up the Spirit's ability to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit through us. We lose our joy, we lose our peace. We're miserable. 
And just like David, way too often, we just go on that way. And we don't actually find forgiveness. How do we find forgiveness? Here, David has committed grievous sin. You know, we cause the most offense with the people with whom we are the closest. How do we find forgiveness, especially when we have sinned willfully and have hurt people? In a few weeks, my wife and I are going to spend a week of vacation with my in-laws, with my wife's brother and his wife. And Barbara mentioned to me yesterday, she said, you know, in the evenings, we are going to be playing games. This was not good news. I'm not a big game guy. I don't want to play games that are competitive, and I don't want to play games that cause you to think. And I don't like playing games that allow everyone around you to laugh at you. That's why I refuse to play Trivial Pursuit, because I'm convinced that the person who wants to play Trivial Pursuit has memorized all of the answers and constantly says things like, I can't believe you didn't know that. Well, the game I hate the worst is a game called Mad Gab. I hate that game. I'd rather go have a root canal than play Mad Gab. And if you haven't played it, you're greatly blessed. Please don't. But it's a kind of game where you have this card and, and you have to read words. And as you read the words, they are supposed to sound like a common phrase. And everyone around you immediately knows what that phrase is. But as you are reading it, I just can't never figure it out. For example, one of the game's phrases uses the words ice, male, ask, hunk. And you're supposed to say that over and over, faster and faster, ice, male, ask, hunk, ice, male, ask, hunk. Well, it's everyone around you is laughing hysterically because they can clearly hear you say, I smell a skunk, but I can't hear it. I can't find the answer. And everyone around me is saying, I can't believe he hasn't gotten it. You keep saying it over and over. I can't believe you haven't found it. Terribly frustrating. And it's terribly frustrating when we, deep inside, know we're miserable. And we don't find a way out. And so this morning we're asking the question, how do I find that answer? How do I find that forgiveness that I need to once again experience joy in my life and peace in my heart? To answer that question, we come here to chapter 12. And one of the things that we see in David's life is very much how we tend to deal with our own sin as well. 
David makes light of it. Remember chapter 11. Oh, Joab, don't let this death of Uriah displease you. It's common. It happens to everybody. It's war. My sin is really not that big of a deal. And yet, it's displeasing to the Lord. And one of the clues for David, and one of the clues for you and for me, when we start hanging on to our sin, when we start condoning it in our minds, when we start trivializing it, Saying things like, well, the vast majority of Christians do this now. It, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I'm not any different than anybody else. This is a little thing. When we start trivializing our sin, one of the signs that we're doing that is the same sign that we see in David's life here in verses 1 through 6. And that is this. We need to take caution. When we start becoming hypersensitive towards sin in other people, when we start becoming judgmental of someone else and how they're living their life, that needs to be a red flag. Do I have sin in my own heart? David did. And he becomes hypersensitive towards sin here. And so do I when I don't confess my sin, when I trivialize it in my own heart and life. And I'm guessing you do too. So as the section opens, we find David becoming hypersensitive toward the sin and other people but not willing to recognize his own. Remember, all through this section, chapter 10, 11, 12, the word sent is a clear use 23 times in these chapters. And most of the time, David is sending somebody. Remember, he's got life all under control. Everything's going great. He's in power. I'll send Joab to do this. I'll send a messenger to do this. I'll just stay here in the ease of my my mansion. This time, Dave is not the one sending. God is. And it tells us in chapter 12, verse 1, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now remember here, David has willfully violated the Ten Commandments. He's violated commandment number six, seven, and ten. He has killed, he's committed adultery, and he's coveted his neighbor's wife. We know from Numbers chapter 15 verses 27 through 31 that if a man sinned unintentionally, he should go to the tabernacle later the temple and offer a sin offering. But for intentional sin, there was no offering. Numbers chapter 15 verses 30 through 31 in the original language calls that sin of the high hand. My Bible, my English, translate, tra- English translation uh, translates it 
defiant sin. It's as if we take our fist before God and say, I know what you say, but I'm going to do this. And that's what David has done. And the only way out from that kind of sin is to fall before God and claim and ask for his mercy. Because the penalty for sin of the high hand is death. And yet, David thinks his sin is no big deal. God sends Nathan. And Nathan tells David a story, a parable. There's two guys in town, a rich guy and a poor guy. The rich guy has all kinds of assets, flocks like you can't imagine. He's wealthy beyond our our wildest dreams. And then there's a poor man. Instead of having vast holdings and many flocks, he's got one little tiny female sheep. One. And it's the family pet. It comes and it eats off his plate and drinks out of his cup and it snuggles up against his chest. He he treats it like one of his daughters. Well, a traveler comes to town and he calls on the rich man. And his custom of the day, the host needs to provide a family for the traveler. Instead of taking one of his hundreds, probably thousands of sheep, because he's too stingy to provide the meal that he should, he goes and takes the poor man's one little lamb and slays it and feeds it to the traveler. David hears the story, and in verse 5 it says, His anger Burn greatly. This man deserves to die, David says. Now there's nothing in the Old Testament law that says that a man who steals another man's sheep and eats it deserves death. You see, David here is hypersensitive toward the sin in other people. He actually does speak truth in verse 6 when he says he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold. And if you turn to Exodus chapter 22 verse 1, it actually talks about stealing another man's sheep and you have to make it right, make restitution by giving him back four more. David here is hypersensitive towards sin. Why? Because he's displacing his own guilt onto other people because he's not willing to call sin, sin in his own life. He's trivializing it. He's making light of his own sin. And we see the sign of that in his judgmental attitude. Toward others. If you would walk into our bathroom off of our master bedroom in my home, you'd see that we have a mirror above our sink that has wings on it that come out. I have no need for that mirror. I really have no need for a mirror at all, except to make sure I don't have stuff in my teeth because I have no hair anymore. I don't have to comb it. Life is easy. Now, Barbara has one of those little round makeup mirrors stuck on the mirror. And if you are happen to glance into the mirror and your eye 
accidentally catches that makeup mirror, it's a gruesome thing. It magnifies everything like seven times as much. And all of a sudden, you see this giant nose. And it looks like the craters of the moon. It's like, my, what an ugly nose I have. And what an ugly face I have. It's just, I see every little blemish. And it's like David here has makeup mirrors for his glasses so that everybody he looks at, he sees their blemishes sevenfold. But he's not seeing his own. You know, Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter 14 both talk about the dangers of a judgmental spirit toward brothers and sisters in Christ. And Galatians chapter 6 talks about the attitude that we should have if there is sin in a brother or sister in Christ. It's an attitude of humbleness. It says in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, the book of Galatians, Brethren, if any man, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. One of the red flags that we should have for our own hearts and lives is if we notice we start becoming critical toward a brother or sister in Christ, judgmental toward them, start viewing their lives with makeup mirror glasses so that we see everything that's wrong in their life, it should be a call to prayer for you and for me to go to the Spirit of God in prayer and say, Father, please reveal to me if there's sin in my life that's causing this judgmental spirit. Because it's so easy for us to deflect our own guilt by focusing on other people instead of our own heart. Well, the words that come next in verse 7 probably were just like a hot iron right into the eye of David. It, the, the sound of these words just were like cutting to him. Because what comes next is this phrase, you are the man. Now that's very different from when like guys say today to another guy, hey man, you're the man. Meaning you're the epitome of manhood. No. David, you are the man, you are the rich man in the story. You're the one who killed the other man's lamb. You are the guilty one. And the Lord goes on through Nathan the prophet, and in verses 7 and 8, reminds him, David, I blessed you. I gave you the household of Saul. I gave you a united kingdom, Israel and Judah. And if that wasn't enough, at the end of verse 8, he says, I would have added to you many more things like these. And then in verses 9 
and 10, we see another Hebrew play on words, just like we saw up in verses 25 and 27. This time, it's a parallelism. And as the Hebrew reader would have heard this, and as David would have heard it and read this, it would have just screamed off the page to them. Here it is. In verse 9, the Lord, through the prophet Nathan, asked this question. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? Then look at the end of verse 10. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah. You see what's happening here is to despise the word of the Lord is to despise the Lord. To despise the word of the Lord is to despise me, God says. To reject God's word is to reject God. You see, David has hurt so many people. He hurt Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah. He sent other innocent men to death when Uriah was sent into battle with fellow soldiers. And ultimately, he has brought guilt upon all of Israel because as God's co-regent, as as the one who represents God on the throne of Israel, as he sins, it causes the nation to bring shame to their God. It brings sin upon all. He's hurt so many people. In verses 10 through 12, God tells him there's going to be consequences. The sword's never going to depart from your family. And we'll see that as the rest of the book unfolds. One of your relatives will actually uh, be in your harem in broad daylight. What you did in secret now will be done in broad daylight. And at the end of the section, he also says that little one that was just born to you, that little one's not going to make it. There's always consequence to sin. But here we find good news. There's always forgiveness available. And when David hears the word of the Lord through Nathan the prophet, in verse 13 he says, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned. You remember, it's just nine months ago at least that David was making light of his sin. He was saying, ah, Joab, don't let this displease you. And here he says, I sinned. I've sinned. And he was sincere in his heart because the word of the Lord back to David through the prophet Nathan is this. The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. He committed willful sin, sin of the high hand. He committed three of the Ten Commandments. He willfully chose to sin against God. And yet there's forgiveness there. Is God making light of David's sin by simply just saying, oh, you're forgiven? No. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. You see, the New Testament tells us in Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, and in Hebrews chapter 10, 
verse 12, that the cross work of Jesus Christ not only paid for all the sin that would come after the cross, it also paid for all of the sin that went before it. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, we read this. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. You see, Jesus Christ, when he went to that cross, proved that we have a right judge Because all of that sin that had happened before the cross that was covered by the blood of bulls and goats was paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's death on the cross paid for all the sin before the cross and all the sin after the cross. That's why the author of the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 verse 12 writes, But he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. No, David benefited from the cross of Christ too. How does one find forgiveness? How do I as a Christian today, when I willfully sin against God, how do I find forgiveness? The same way David did. By calling sin, sin. David finally stops trivializing his sin. He finally says in verse 13, I've sinned. This week in the evening, I received a text message from Discover Card saying, did you make a charge to the Apple store? I texted back, no. Then I went online and realized that my Discover card had been compromised. Someone had started using my card to make charges. I'm assuming a young person, because they're the ones who are smart enough to know how to pull all that off. And I can just hear their mom and dad saying, well... He's such a gifted child, he doesn't know what to do with all of his time. He made a poor choice, didn't he? You know, if if we could just channel all that giftedness in the right direction, he wouldn't be making mistakes like this. You see, it's so easy for us to trivialize sin. It's so easy for us to call it, well, I, I kind of operated in the gray, I made a mistake, instead of saying, I sinned, I stole, and I lied. Finally, David stops trivializing sin and says, I did it. I sinned. Turn with me over to the book of First John. 1 John chapter 1. We looked at this passage in our call to worship last week. And in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now here, John is writing to Christians. What if I'm here today and I'm not a Christian and you know that you're not a Christian? How do you find forgiveness? The same way David found forgiveness, the same way 
those of us who are Christians found forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, each and every one of us are sinners. And we can't fix it. We can't do enough good things to outweigh our sin. And God saw our plight and couldn't just overlook it because it would violate his very character. So he sent the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, to took on, to take on humanity via the virgin birth. He lived a sinless life and then he took all the penalty for all of our sin upon himself by dying for us on the cross. And then when he rose from the dead, it proved that he is God. And the Bible is very clear that that payment for sin can be credited to the account of all of our lives, but we have to put our trust in Jesus Christ. We have to take the dependence of our life off of ourselves, thinking, I can be a good enough person, I can earn merit with God, and put our total dependence on the person of Jesus Christ, believing that he is God, that he died for my sin, and rose again from the dead, proving that his payment for sin was sufficient. If you're here today and you have not put your trust in Christ I would encourage you immediately after the service, there's a room right behind you with the letters prayer room above it. You can go in there. One of our elders will be in there and give you some material that you can take and look up in your own Bible, passages or verses in the Bible that show you that you can know for sure that your sin is forgiven and that you're right with God. Here in 1 John, John's writing to Christians and says, by the way, Christian, even though you've experienced forgiveness for your sin, if you think that you never sin after, a Christ, after you are a Christian, you're deceiving yourself. Well, how do I find forgiveness as a Christian? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess there means to simply to say the same thing about it that God says about it. I have sinned. And until we do that, we experience the same misery that David was experiencing. No joy, no peace in our life. We're miserable. It's simply because when we have sin in our life that we are not willing to call sin, it blocks the Spirit of God's ability to replicate the life of Christ through us. It blocks the Spirit's ability so that the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5 can be replicated in our lives. How do I know if I'm not willing to deal with my sin? One of the red flags is in verses 1 through 6. When I start sensing that I'm becoming overcritical or judgmental toward my brothers or sisters in Christ, it's a call to prayer. Father, please show me, is there sin in my life that I've not been willing to confess? Or maybe that fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 isn't in my life. I'm not having love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control in my life. It's a call to prayer. Father, is there sin in my life that's keeping the Spirit of God from being able to replicate the life of Christ through me? David found that when he finally took sin serious and called sin, sin, he was forgiven. The guilt was taken away. 
Again, if you're here today, and if you don't know if your sin's forgiven or not, please take time to come back in the prayer room. Or maybe you're here and you've got weight on you. You're hurting. You've got burdens in your life. I encourage you to go pray with one of our elders before you leave today. Father, we thank you for your word. To receive your word is to receive you. To treat your word with contempt is to treat you with contempt. To ignore the word is to ignore you. Help us to be hearers of the word. Help us, Father, by your spirit, to keep short accounts to confess our sin when we become aware that we indeed have sinned. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.